so glad you're here. I'm Kendall, I'll serve as the executive pastor here and uh, have the wonderful opportunity today to share some spiritual vision, to, to share um, a prophetic theme uh, for, for the year. And um, as I do that, uh, I just want to start with a story. Um, each year, I set aside some time just to study like a leader in world history, someone there was an interesting biography, you know, maybe someone I can learn something from, from their life. And I've been reading this biography that's had this story in it that's, that's really uh, impacted me. Uh, the story begins right after the Civil War. America is in uh, Reconstruction. Uh, you know, there's been emancipation. There's all kinds of freedom happening, uh, all kinds of economic improvements, new industries, technologies. Um, also a time of several controversial elections actually happening in our country. A time of great commerce and reform. And during this time, uh, there's a family that was in New York State. And this particular family um, was, uh, had, had a godly mother, but the father was not um, someone that followed the Lord. He actually, actually he was a huckster. He traveled from town to town uh, selling literal snake oil and other uh, medical cures that sadly made people sick and, and caused them to die. So the, the family was in constant financial, relational turmoil, tons of crises, and eventually they moved from New York State to Cleveland, Ohio. In Cleveland, the father of the family gets such a bad reputation that he becomes known, this is his name around town, as Devil Bill. That's what everyone calls him. Here comes old Devil Bill, okay? So he was a thief, a liar, a philanderer, and had three separate families that didn't know about each other. Devil Bill. His quote, his parenting philosophy, I cheat my children every chance I get to make them sharp. That was Devil Bill. One of his sons showed some academic promise. He was a very bright student. So they were able to put him into an elite school for, for about a year. But uh, the family went through another financial crisis, and they had to pull him out. And eventually, the young man just had to leave the house and go work on his own. So he finds himself on the streets of Cleveland looking for a job for six straight weeks in a row every day. Eventually, he's picked up as an introductory bookkeeper but a non-paid position. That's his first job. Okay. Uh, not a strong biography for someone that will shape history, right? <laughs> not a strong intro. Um, but at this time, this young man meets a mentor. And man, if there's one thing I could tell you about this year, find a good mentor. Find a good coach, right? Find somebody to speak into your life with faith and purpose. And this young man, he found a good mentor. And this mentor was a, was a florist in town. He owned a business. And he was a member of the Mission Baptist Church. And the young man had been raised knowing the Lord because his mom was a devout Christian, but obviously his dad was known as a devil bill. So he had a little bit of a mixed legacy. And he moves into the Missions Baptist Church uh, and is just begins to be discipled. Uh, the church is poor funding, so there's lots of needs. And so he starts serving in the church. So he becomes the church janitor, okay? And then he eventually works his way up from janitor to secretary. So he becomes the secretary of the church, and he becomes the head greeter, greeting everyone as they walk in and out of the door uh, each Sunday. He works on the board. He develops the church building campaign. And during this time, he's just serving in this church and faithfully working his bookkeeping 
job. Well, in our nation, uh, during this time after the Civil War, there was an incredible time of spiritual renewal and revival. It's called the Second Great Awakening. And preachers would, would come through town and hold revival meetings. Many people's lives would be changed and transformed. One of these preachers came to the city of Cleveland, and the Mission Baptist Church experienced revival for 100 nights in a row. People gathering at the church, seeking God, crying out, just just getting rocked, as we say here at All Peoples. And this young man, he, he began to grow in his passion for the Lord and his fire from God. He had, been, he had been raised in Moravia, New York, actually been influenced by Moravian Christians. And so he had this desire for missions and the poor and to influence and disciple society. And he begins to travel with this local evangelist because he's thinking, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go into ministry, maybe I'll go into church ministry, and I'll be mentored by this guy. And so he starts traveling with him. One of these meetings in the region, the young man says this. He says, heaven opened and God gave him his life calling. In the middle of this meeting, he's praying about going into church ministry, and God speaks to him and says this, interesting life calling. Your calling in life is to make all the money you can in business so you can give all the money you can to others. And that's the story of how John D. Rockefeller became the richest man on earth. God stepped into his world and some of you are like, I'd like that calling today. Well, God's distributing callings and purposes. He was the Elon Musk of his time. Right? He was the Jeff Bezos of his time, and he was called by God to rebuild a broken nation. <laughs> well, we're called by God to rebuild a broken nation too. Amen? I'm not saying Rockefeller was perfect. I'm sure there's times he was ruthless, uh, but he was faithful to the Lord until the day he died. He was committed to funding public health, Christian education, and most interestingly, the multi-ethnic church. And he's perhaps one of the best examples in history of the divine call to increase, the call to increase. He was scrupulous with every cent, committed to passing down um, biblical values to the next generation. And this was one of the theme verses of his life, Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. As we move into 2022 and look at this prophetic theme, I want you to know that it's not as important what you have right now. You might feel like you have a little, might have a little faith, might have a little finances, might not have quite the relationships that you're hoping for in life, whatever your needs are. I know there's needs all over this tent. There's needs, everyone watching online. You, there's probably needs that you have, but God's concern is the stewardship of what he's given us so that he can lead us into greater things. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, the call to increase, the call to increase. If I could say if there's one word, I believe God is speaking over his church, the church, and this church in this season, it is this word, the word increase. The word increase. It's time to increase. Every year and about the end of the, the, the fall, I begin to seek God, you know, for, for a word for the next season. And um, it's been my privilege to share these from time to time in settings like this. And so for 2020, God gave me this word that this was going to be a year where we needed God's prevailing word because we were going to experience storms like never before. Well, that was 2020, wasn't it? 2021, I know there was a lot of hope at the turn of the year. Okay, we got through 2020. Maybe we just kind of can start a new year and everything will go back to normal. Well, God was speaking to me. This was a year of, 
uncharted territory, that we're having to live in a new normal, new chaos, and the chaos wasn't over. 2022, you know, as we go into this year, I've talked to so many people about their new year. I've not spoken to one person that's excited about this year, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if you're going into the year tired, disoriented, I mean, everyone in my house has been sick since the day after Christmas, not COVID, thankfully, but just other things. There, there's all kinds of, of just malaise that I'm sensing on people as we move into another year. It's been hard to grasp on the plans. It's been hard to grasp onto hope. But God wants to speak to us today and let us know that this is a year of increase. And you might not be able to to fully grasp what that looks like. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, but I want to remind you really quick of the testimony of Mary and the Christmas story. You know, Mary, this, this young lady engaged to Joseph thinking about planning her wedding, right? I'm looking through the audience at a couple people that got married the last year or maybe got engaged recently. And man, when you're in that season, that's what you're thinking about, right? You're thinking about planning your wedding. You're not thinking about a new word from God or a new mission. You're thinking about in-laws and outlaws and planning meals and your honeymoon and everything else in between. And that's probably what Mary was thinking about. But God steps into her world and says, hey, by the way, you're going to be a mom and it's going to be a miraculous conception. And the child is Jesus, the Messiah. (laughs) Freaky, right? And I love how, how Mary responds to this word from God, Luke 1.38, let it be done to me, God, according to your word. We don't have to understand this call to increase fully. What God's looking from us today is willing hearts to say, as I move into 2022, God, I might not fully understand the increase you want to bring into my life, but let it be done to me according to your word. Can I get an amen? There's three things I want to tell you about God's call to increase today, and they correspond with three different prophetic experiences I've had as I've been planning for this next year. The first one is this, increase is who God is. We serve a God of increase. Number two, increase is who we are. We are a people of increase. Number three, increase is what our world needs. The world desperately needs the people of God to increase. God is a God of increase. I think one of the things we have to look about, look at when, when we think about God is how did God describe himself in the Bible? So, you know, from my perspective, God sends Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the exact representation of God. And then Jesus comes and he walks with his disciples and he invests in their lives. And then, then he performs many miracles. And then along the way, he's spending time with his disciples. And we have a lot of these stories in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these parables that Jesus used to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. And he would say things like, the kingdom of God is like this, or God is like this. And he would share these parables. Let's just look in Luke 15 for a minute. Just three different parables, probably three of more Jesus's more known or famous parables Luke chapter 15, tax collectors and sinners are drawing near. People start grumbling. Jesus starts to teach some parables. Verse 3, he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go into the open country and find the lost one? So there's this concept of, you know, God is going after the lost sheep, right? He, he has a heart of mercy for the lost, and that's what Jesus came to do, to seek and save the lost. But I think we need to remember the context of this parable. God depicts himself 
as a successful shepherd with a hundred sheep. Right? Second parable. The parable of the lost coin. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses a coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house? And again, uh, he, he's talking about the Father's heart for the lost, where, where the angels of God are rejoicing in heaven when people are making that decision for Christ and coming into God's family. But, but we can't forget the context of the parable, where the kingdom of God is, is described like this woman with these ten silver coins. There's only ten in the whole world. They would have been, they would have been like a dowry, a, a drachma. They would have been stamped with the family's coat of arms. It would have been irreplaceable, more valuable than crypto, dodge coin, bitcoin, whatever your coin is, okay? They would have been more valuable than that. So, so God is saying the kingdom is... Is, is like someone that has these gifts from a wealthy suitor. Third parable, the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And, of course, we know the story, right? Even if you haven't been to church. By the way, if this is your first time at this church or a church, wow, what a privilege. We're so glad you're here. And um, it, most of us know this story even if we haven't been to church, right? The story of the prodigal son, the story of a father that has two sons. One son has an inheritance, right? Goes off and squanders the inheritance. He returns repentant, is restored to relationship with his father. Then there's the older son that kind of has a bad attitude the whole time. And they're working that out, okay? That's the story of the prodigal son. And it's a story of God's heart to always receive us back as we repent and turn to him. But we can't forget how Jesus depicts God in the story of the prodigal son. He depicts God as a wealthy rancher. This guy has servants. He's got staff, right? (laughs) He's got land. He's got calves to spare. Even a fat one, right? Notice how he doesn't get the calf. He's like, bring me the calf. Like he's sending people. They're moving on his behalf. He's a party thrower. Man, I've been around some wealthy ranchers in my day. They're great people. And, and you know what? That's how God chooses to describe himself, as a God of increase, a God of production, a man of means. Okay, so now what about Jesus' miracles, if that was his parable? Well, when Jesus touched things, they multiplied, Right? We're in a situation where we don't have enough bread or for people. Jesus, all the bread multiplies. We're in a situation where the fish, we're not catching them on this side of the boat. Well, they put their nets down on the other side of the boat. It multiplies. Jesus was often demonstrating this miracle of multiplication. Uh, let, let me uh, just break it down into our context. You know, my kids don't think it's a miracle when I divide their in and out fries, right? They would probably really listen to me and think I was a real pastor if I had the gift of miracles and I multiplied their fries. I'm like, Isaac, you have the well done. Jed, you have, you know, and I'm spreading out the fries. Well done fries. That's the way to go at In-N-Out, by the way. So, um, okay, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, uh, the miracle of multiplication, right? That, 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 that's who God is. And then we see the early church, Acts 2.47. The church is gathered What does the Bible say? That God was adding to their number daily. But what's interesting to me is is, is then in Acts Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says the church multiplied. So they moved from addition to multiplication. They went from second grade to fourth grade. 
But then what does it say in, later in the book of Acts? All of Asia had heard the gospel. God's a God of increase. They went from addition to multiplication to saturation. And, and then let's just think for a minute about what God has promised us about himself. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Man, there's spiritual promises, right? This is so much more, just you got to have to take the first example as, as a practical and a spiritual one, but not everyone's called to be a Rockefeller, but God is, God is called to bring increase to all of our lives in different ways, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Deuteronomy 7, 13, he will love you, he will bless you, he will increase you. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. No end to his increase. We see that even reflected in, in the universe, in, in natural creation, which is always expanding. God is a God of increase. Here, here is something I know, though. In order for many of us to walk into the increase that God wants to bring, we need to leave behind the last spiritual season. We need to leave behind the last spiritual season. So let me explain that to you for a minute. Because in the last spiritual season, God was restoring a very important truth to the body of Christ. The truth of pruning. And for many people, this, this started in 2020 with COVID. For us in this church, we experienced pruning even, even before that. There's been this truth of pruning that God has been restoring to his church. He said, I'm, I'm the vine dresser, John 15. I'm actually going to prune my people in my church. Pruning is defined this way. The act of trimming or lopping off what is superfluous. Right? That's, I, that's probably happened in a lot of our lives. Specifically, the act of cutting off branches or parts of trees or shrubs with a view to strengthen those that remain or the bringing of the tree or plant into a desired shape. I hope you've let God prune you in the last season. I hope you've, you've come to God and said, God, this is an incredibly difficult time. I don't know what you're doing. Will you take off my life what's superfluous? Will you, will you shape me into the shape that you want me to be? That, that's, that's your desire. There, there, everything isn't always up and to the right. There's times of war. There's times of peace, the Bible says. There's times of pruning. There's times of growth. And we've been through a time of pruning. This is how this truth was reminded to me. I have these bottle brush trees at my house, about 10 of them. And they're very important to me because they, they provide some privacy on, on the hill that we live on. And so during the last year, I noticed the bottle brush trees weren't doing very well. And they needed a lot of attention. So I was out there all the time, watering these trees. You know, I'm from Texas. We didn't have bottle brush trees there growing up. So I've got a lot to learn about bottle brush trees. I'm reading up on them, trying to figure out, you know, how to make them healthier, watering them at the right time, providing all these different things. And there was nothing I could do to, to get these bottle brush trees healthy. I mean, it, it literally felt like it was falling through my fingers. Like, all these trees are just going to die. Part of this one tree kind of started to wilt. I was like, oh, no. Well, and during this time, so interesting, I had a dream. And, and in this dream, I was walking amongst my bottle brush trees, and they were all in full bloom. And then I woke up. About a week later, um, there's someone that helps me with these trees, and he hasn't been able to come to our house since, since before COVID. So it's, it's been over a year. And he was finally able to come, and he came to our house, 
and he worked on our bottle brush trees. And I had tried to prune them my very best. I didn't really know what I was doing. He was in there. He was pruning the trees. He was doing other things. He's one of those people that whenever he touches a plant, it, like, comes back to life. You guys know those people? Some of you have the opposite anointing in life, right? You're killing cactuses as we speak at your house. Okay? So, well, he's one of those plant people. Okay, a week later, the entire 10 trees are all in bloom, just like the dream. And I asked God, I asked God, what, what's this all about? <laughs> why, are you, why am I hearing about bottle brush trees in my dreams? God spoke to me. He said, it's time to stop talking about what's been pruned and to start talking about what is coming. You see, we, we've needed a season of pruning. But after you prune things from your life and you put them in the green bin, and hopefully the city comes and takes them away, you're not thinking about those old, you're like, oh, I really missed that branch, you know? It was a really important branch, you know. It just hit my face in the exact right way while I was chasing my dog. Anyway, maybe that's a personal story. So, no, you're thinking about the bloom that's coming. You're thinking about the new fruit. But many of us Christians, we're still talking about what we lost. Listen, grief is healthy. Like, we need to be real with our emotions. Like, I'm, I see that side of it. Like, let's lean into that. But, but the focus of our lives can't be what slipped through our fingers. The focus of our lives has to be what God is bringing. It's time to stop talking about what's been pruned and to start talking about what's coming. The only reason we experience pruning is so we can experience increase. Let me just, just a biblical review here, John 15, a couple ideas on pruning real quick. John 15, verse 2, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You know, pruning is not a punishment. Pruning is actually how God rewards abundance. Because he realized, oh, I need to get this to something manageable for this person. Okay? Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. That's God's heart for us, that we would bear fruit. Pruning is part of God's process for increase. John 15, verse 8. But my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, And so prove yourself to be my disciples. Wow. God doesn't just want us to bear fruit. He actually expects us to. Like the picture I have here is of like a gardener going through his vineyard and he's like looking at the, he's like, is there fruit on this branch? Right? Because that glorifies me. That glorifies my father. It, if, if there's fruit, that actually proves to the world that we are life-giving disciples, that we have fruit in our lives. God has a vested interest in our increase because he actually is wanting the world to see the fruit of who he is in us and through us. Fruit brings glory to God. You know, I didn't wake up yesterday for my 10-year-old's basketball game just really hoping he would lose. Man, I really hope they lose. Just teach him a lesson. No! My desire was for him to increase. 
even if the game didn't work out, for him to increase in his skills and his attitude. You know what I mean? Like, that's what God wants for us. John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. God has specific fruit he has appointed you to bear as a Christian. And that your fruit should abide. What's also translated, your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I think we need to re-grasp God's vision for pruning because, yes, we have been through a significant time of pruning. How do I know that God wants to bring increase to our lives more than he ever has before? Because we've been through a pruning like we never have before. But God is a God of increase. The pruning is just a pause. Number two, we are a people of increase. We're people of increase. As I began to pray this word, just God, what, is it, what does it mean for increase to come into our church? What, what does it mean to, what are you speaking on that? Is this just a word for me? Is this a word for our church? Um, God actually gave me another dream. And, you know, this is a church, we actually pray that people hear from God in all kinds of ways. One, one of those is dreams. I talked to a man uh, in the last service. He's been a minister for decades. He said, you, you know, um, I've never had a dream from God until last week <laughs> as part of this church. Isn't that awesome? I have a book, The Dream Map. You can check that out. But God spoke to me in another dream. Not every dream is from God, but I'm pretty sure this one was. In the dream, I was visiting a couple from our ministry, and they just bought a new house. And like anybody in San Diego, it had been a fight for them to, buy them to, to get a new house, right? So they'd fought for this house, and we went into the house, and it needed a little work, but it was exciting, and I'm most happy for them. They're actually part of All People South Bay, our newest church here in the San Diego area, which had its first meeting this morning, its first church meeting um, in Chula Vista's park there. And as I walked into the house, it moved from their house. It became Pastor Robert and Stephanie's house. So now I'm in their house. And God's telling us the scope of the dream. He's telling us the context through that, the setting. And Robert asked me, he said, will you pray a blessing over our house? And I said, absolutely. And immediately I began to pray. And I said, I bless this house to be a house of increase. This is a season of increase. Then I woke up. One thing I want to say is this just isn't just a word for me. This isn't just a word for the pastors of this church. This is a word for this house. If you are part of this house, God is inviting you into a season of increase. That is what God wants to do. But I think in order to, to, to press into that a little bit, we might need to talk about how God brings increase because so many times we're tempted to believe that our increase is based on market conditions. Well, how many of you know that, that God, God can increase his provision at a faster rate than inflation, right? That the value of God's anointing oil can go up faster than the price of gas, okay? God... God is a God of increase. We're a people of increase. And as I was praying for this word of increase, God spoke to me another word, actually a very sobering word, a word not for the church but for outside the church, for the world, the word of famine. And I began to study the scriptures. What does it look like to increase in famine? And and you know what I found? The people of God from Abraham to beyond have been a people that have increased in famine See, our increase isn't based on market conditions. It's not based on what's going on in the world. It's based on the abundance of our Father's house. Let's look here. Abraham, we're just going to do a brief biblical survey here. 
Abraham, God tells Abraham, hey, leave your father's house, go to the place I'll show you. He delays a little bit. He eventually gets there, and it says in Genesis 12, 10, Abram went out to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Well, how did Abraham fare in famine? Genesis 13, 1 through 2. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot was with him in the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. It was a pretty good famine for Abraham, wasn't it? (laughs) Okay, Isaac, Abraham's son. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine, the, the author of Genesis, probably Moses, is very clear. Hey, like, this is a different famine. Okay, just noted. That was in the days of Abraham. Genesis 26, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped into the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him in famine. What about Joseph, Isaac's grandson? The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. So what happened was was that Joseph had this gift of dream interpretation. Pharaoh came to him, and he got this this word of knowledge that there was going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine in Egypt. You might know the story. During the years of plenty, they began to store up bread. Well, how did Joseph and the kingdom he was over, the kingdom of Egypt at that time, how did they fare? And famine, Genesis 41, 53, there was famine in all lands, but in all of the land of Egypt, there was bread. Wow, they had increase in famine. Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, he calls down fire from heaven. He defeats the prophets of Baal. He prays and God sends a supernatural rain. What's the context? 1 Kings 18, verse 2, the famine was very severe. Elisha, Elijah's spiritual son, he takes over the prophetic ministry from Elijah and begins to travel throughout Israel. In one particular passage, he he actually multiplies food. He feeds an army. There's all these stories of God's miraculous provision. What's the context of those stories? 2 Kings 4.38, there was again a famine in the lands. Wow. Jesus. In the context of of the... apex of the Bible, uh, Matthew 24, 14, and the apex of human history when the gospel is preached to all nations and the kingdom of God is increasing like never before. What does is, what is the Bible say that was going to be happening on the earth? Matthew 24, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Famines during the time where the gospel of the kingdom is increasing like no other time. What about the early church? Well, the early church began its missionary journeys, and they spread and preached the gospel throughout Asia Minor as the Lord built churches and brought increase. What was the context of all that? Acts chapter 11, verse 28 says this. A prophet stands up from Jerusalem, and he's ministering. His name is Agabus, and he says, there will be a great famine over all the world. The parables, the prodigal son, He leaves the father's house. He has his inheritance. What does the Bible say? That there was a famine in the land. Oh, I believe there is a massive increase coming to the house of God. I believe that the people of God are meant to walk in influence and increase like never before. But I don't want to say this is going to be an easy year. (laughs) This is going to be a time of famine. It's going to test our faith. But the faith that we have will multiply and be increased so we can experience the increase that God wants to bring. Because the Bible says this, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Do you have faith for increase? Sometimes we can think our increase just is going to come in one big lump sum. 
you know we're going to lock eyes with that special someone across the church. Only you. That was a cue from Robert. Um, increase to my life, right? I found, I found my bride, my husband, right? Or we think it's not going to be that big payment that we need. You know, sometimes increase in our life comes incrementally. There's a chart here I like. It's from a book called Atomic Habits. Sometimes it's just a 1% improvement over time. 1% better every day. That can bring increase to our lives. I don't know how God wants to bring increase. I don't know the specific increase he wants to bring to you, but I do know this promise that God spoke me. Psalm 37, verse 18 and 19. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. Their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. Man, these can feel like evil times, can't they? This is what the Bible says. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. One translation of the Bible describes this verse this way. Even in a time of disaster, he will watch over them. And they will always have more than enough, no matter what happens. I believe that the people of God are in a generational opportunity for increase. And every generation has, has windows of time that uh, new leaders are able to step up and influence society like never before. You know, in the, in the baby boomer generation, that was the Jesus movement, right? Just this massive time of spiritual growth and awakening and churches started. In my generation, I'm a millennial, we had this time after 9-11 and 2001 to about 2003 where pe- people were interested, they were hungry for God. We, we didn't quite use that opportunity. I think the way the Lord wanted us to. I, I, but G- Generation Z, if you're under 30 here in this room, can I just say something? This is your moment. This is the time for your generation to increase. God is wanting to raise you up. People have been through severe trauma but they will be hungry for Jesus like never before. It's time for the kingdom of God to increase. I hope you're getting that I'm not just talking finances. I'm talking salvations. I'm talking, you know, churches being planted. I'm talking increase in our faith, in our prayer life. I'm talking increased intentionality in our homes, in our workplaces. When increase touches your life, it touches every area. Can I get an amen? So God is a God of increase. We are a people of increase. What the world needs is our increase. This October, I had the chance to go to Hawaii with my family. I'd actually never been uh, to Hawaii before, 38, and it was really cool. I like Hawaii. I want to go back. Um, And we had a free day where we didn't have much to do. And I spoke to this lady at a cafe, and I said, hey, what's there to do around here? And she looked at my, I have four kids, but she looked at my oldest two, 10 and 8, and she said, well, I think they're the perfect age for this tour. It's a tour where you, you get on this truck and they drive you through all the movie sets of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. I'm like, yeah, they're going to like that. So we make it to this ranch called Kualoa Ranch. Do we have a picture, by the way? Did we get the Jurassic World picture up? No, that's all right. It would have been fun. Maybe next time. So no worries. I sent it to them super late. It's on me. So um, we got this picture right under the Jurassic World. Like All the sets are still up from all these movies. So we're on this, this six-wheeler kind of Russian ATV driving through this kind of jungle and seeing all this cool stuff. And my kids think they are in the movies now. You know what I mean? And we, we're, all, we're learning about this ranch. And I said, well, can you tell us a little about this ranch? And uh, the woman, the tour guide, began to share about the ranch. 5,000-acre ranch. In the last 10 to 15 years, they've filmed like 40-plus Hollywood movies at this ranch. And I said, well, what's the story? Like, how did this land get preserved all these years? She said, well, it's really interesting you ask. In the 1800s, a missionary came to Hawaii. And now I'm listening, right? And 
She says, this is the only missionary in his kind of cohort that learned the Hawaiian language. And he actually became enculturated to the point where they gave him a Hawaiian name. Eventually, he, he grew in influence and authority. He became an advisor to the king of Hawaii. Sound like anybody you've heard of in the Bible? Joseph, right? By the way, Joseph means he will bring increase, just so you know. So this guy had this Joseph calling on his life. He becomes the prime minister of Hawaii, advising this great king. And the, he dies and passes, and the king's family wants to do something to commemorate his life and, and to set aside some way to, to bless his lineage, his ancestry. And so the king gives him a 5,000-acre plot on this island in Hawaii. That's pretty amazing. And this is where they filmed all these movies. Now, I'm not saying all the movies are from God. Here's what, I'm in, here's what I am saying. What we produce today is oftentimes as a result of the increase of yesterday. So who is going to live off our increase? You see, the next generation needs our increase. You know what I think? I think in that portable, in that room, in that room over there, I think we have some Rockefellers. I think we have some admirals. I think we have some government leaders. I know we have some church planners. <laughs> I think we've got some pastors, some prophets, some teachers, some evangelists, right? Some young apostles. And they need us to increase so that they have a platform to stand on. The world needs our increase. The next generation needs our increase. Proverbs 11, verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And with the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. We can't create an environment in our city where everyone is forced to follow Jesus. That's not God's way. But we can create an environment where it's hard not to hear about him. We can create an environment where it's hard not to see his visible work in people's lives because of the increase that's been brought to the people of God. Can I get an amen? Listen, can I tell you something? You actually don't need to pray for increase this year. God has promised it to you. You need to pray for your capacity to receive. It's like Elisha and the widow's oil. Just make sure you have enough containers. Make sure you're ready to go because God wants to bring increase in Jesus' name. If you receive this word, say amen. I want to do a few things as we respond together. The first is just pray a, pray a group prayer, a declaration over our year, a declaration of increase. And by the way, you can download this on the QR code in your seat. And I, we designed it in a way that looks like a phone lock. So I've just got it on my phone right here. I'm going to read it off my phone. It'll also be on the screen. And you can pray this prayer of increase with us together. Will you stand with me together all over this tent? And as we do this, it might be too small for you to read. That's okay. I'll repeat some words. You can repeat them after me as we pray over this year and just believe in faith that God is bringing increase into our lives. You can just recite some words after me. The pruning in my life will accomplish its purpose. Man, that's a good word right there. Think of all that's been pruned. You say this, I am chosen and appointed to bear fruit. Hey, this isn't the power of positive thinking. This is the Bible, John 15, okay? I will have abundance and days of famine. I am part of a church that is a house of increase. Some of you guys are like, I think I just joined the church. Absolutely you did. All right. God is increasing my faith and my capacity. Of the increase, 
of his government and of his peace, there will be no end in Jesus' name. Do you believe your words have power? Yes. The second thing we're going to do to respond is we're just going to spend some time listening to God. And if you want to stay standing, you can. You can sit down. But I I just want to create some space for us to hear from the Lord for our years personally. And there may be some promise of increase God wants to bring to you to make this word general to specific. It may be something else entirely. I was praying with a couple last service that was praying about adoption. It could be anything in your life. But can we just wait on the Lord for a few moments? And we've actually been praying for this moment as a staff today that God will speak to you. So just however you feel comfortable, we're going to spend some time listening to God. It's a couple quiet moments. You can open your hands. You can sit down. You can get on your knees, whatever feels right. God, would you make this word practical? Would you make it specific? Would you distribute just specific promises of increase all over this tent?